You're listening to the Fresh Takes on Tech podcast, a show from the International Fresh Produce Association. This is a show for people interested in the intersection between technology and the produce and floral industries. Every week, we explore the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the industry. If you are interested in the innovations that create change, this is the place for you. Let's dive in. Hello, today we have a special guest. We have Tamara. Tamara is the new, as of April 1st, Director of Sustainability at International Fresh Produce Association. She comes to us with deep experience and knowledge in sustainability and environmental conservation. She has worked across public, private, nonprofit, and academic organizations. She's no stranger to the produce industry, having spent six years at Driscoll's in sustainability roles. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to IFPA. Thank you. Thank you so much. So please say a little bit more about your background and how you ended up at IFPA. So my background, I am a full-blown sustainability professional, as you mentioned. Um, I started my career 23 years ago. And at that point, I realized that I wanted to turn an obsession into a profession because this is all I could think about all the time. I think about the environment and our impact in, in this planet and what legacy do we leave behind. And so that's how I build a whole career out of that. I, as you mentioned, I started in government. I started working at the European Union and um, I moved on to becoming a scientist into academia and then I worked my way onto the corporate world, and now IFPA gives me this opportunity to look at broadly at the whole industry, an industry that I care so much about, produce and floral. And so looking at all the companies, all the challenges, and but also all the opportunities and the wonderful work that people are doing and being able to lead the path in sustainability. So it's interesting during that whole time of building your career, when you started, there really wasn't a career path in sustainability, right? There weren't jobs that said, you know, you're the head of sustainability. So it it, kind of explain how that happened that, you know, you were working at something you were passionate about and then it became a job title. Like what was that like? And, and how did that work? That is a great question because I think about it all the time. Um, When I started, no, there was nothing there was no sustainability title. There was, you know, more or less, there were some environmental professionals, but they were working on technical aspects of the environment. And so I started working on environmental policy, agriculture, fisheries policy at the European Union with always with an environmental lens to it. But in government, I felt that we didn't go deep enough into this, into those areas, into those subject matters. And so I thought, well, I want to be one of those experts that we sometimes hire and we ask them, you know, what is this? So I went back to school, I got another degree, and then I became a scientist. And I worked in science for a number of years, doing my own science and working with other scientists to really understand better the whole environmental world. And then I realized that for me personally, so I, I'm trained as, a, as an ecologist. 
And so that's my scientific background, but I also have an MBA. And then those two together form corporate sustainability. And that's how I, um, the first time that I saw, not the first time that when, but early in the 2000s, it was the first time that you would see the title sustainability in companies. And now you could have a chief sustainability officer, which is truly amazing in corporate, but also in academia and also in government. There's a person or a team that leads that whole work. Um, And that's something that was never done before. It was very much all over the place. I think we're still trying to find our footing as professionals because we're we work in different areas, but I think there's more cohesion with time. Yeah, I think it's our, our first guest in this series, Joel McAlver, who is the founder of Green Biz Journal. And it was interesting, one of the, he has, uh, over the years, like they have conferences with sustainability officers. And we talked a lot about just the importance of having someone that's in charge of it, but also having it permeate through the whole organization. And you're, you're seeing that happening more too, that it's not just one person that's like hiding in the back office. It's actually you know, something that companies are embracing and it's part of everything that they do. So it's, it's been interesting for me to watch that evolution. Cause I was early on, I was, I've always been interested in sustainability, whatever it was called <laughs> before. Right, and, right, uh, right. and at one point I realized, you know, I would talk about myself as someone who had a background in sustainability and knew about sustainability. And at one point I remember it was probably about five years ago. It was like, I'm really not, you know, it's like there are people who have devoted like you that have really studied this and I care about it, but there's, there are people who are, it is their profession. So really looking at as a profession, it's pretty interesting to see that grow. And it just, it shows just the importance in corporate and government and academia, how important it is across all those different areas. So tell us about your role at IFPA. I know you just started and um, you're going to make this role your own as you learn more about it, but what, what are you excited to do? What do, what do you see as your role? What, you know, what do you think you're stepping into here? That is a very hard question and I hope to answer it uh, <laughs> well because I'm trying to figure it out. I think that I was hired as a thought leader in the space and to bring forward the work of the IFPA that has been doing in sustainability for all their members and trying to shed some light into the industry and in sustainability. Whereas I think that in my role, I think that something that I can do in this role is that we have, you know, many, many members in the um, association and a good number of them, they probably have a sustainability team and some others don't, but they're probably focused on their company, their thing, and what they're doing, their challenges. But what we can bring, this added value that we can bring to all of our members is to really understand the whole scope, to bring new technologies, bring new ideas, bring together thought, leadership, so we can support the efforts that all these companies are doing already on their own or they're trying to do on their own. Yeah, I think it it's it is 
so important. And we certainly hear from members whenever we ask members, what are the top things that they care about? Sustainability is definitely near the top. And IFPA, before you joined, you know, Ed Tracy did a lot of work in this area, but he also had a lot of other jobs as well. And so mm-hmm. bringing you on just shows that the organization takes us very seriously and we see how important it is. And we really want someone dedicated to, to looking at this and helping these companies. As you said, you do what you, what you do what you do what's in front of you but the whole point of an association is to have the thought leadership and I think having you in this role is gonna allow people to have someone to come to to ask questions and then also just you giving your view of you know what you see and and uh, and what's possible for the industry yeah exactly and I think that because we have a landscape view that companies naturally do not have because they're more siloed and they're inside their world we provide that landscape view that is so powerful to them and so um, so enriching to all of them and bring them together to to talk. Mm-hmm. And learn from each other, right? Learn from each other, exactly. Because sustainability is all about learning. It's all about continuous learning. You're always continuous improvement and just being more aware of what your practices are. So how do you think about sustainability in the produce industry specifically? I know just even within agriculture, we hear a lot of people talk about sustainability and it tends to be more focused on the row crops and what what they're doing. So for our industry in produce in Florida, how do you think about sustainability and and what are some of the, the differences? Mostly it's, it's somewhat similar to the rest of the industry, but there, there are a couple of areas that are very distinct. Uh, so for example, the whole packaging area mm, of sustainability yeah. is very much associated with produce, row crops, you know, cereals, and others um, do not have that challenge or less of that challenge. Um, we're very challenged by packaging. Another one is labor. We're a very labor-intensive industry versus other agricultural industries. If you think of corn, you have one person with a machine just for acres and acres and acres. And here in, in produce, I think that most people don't, don't know that you have this field that is packed with people who are picking the, the produce. And so the labor and the people aspect of the industry is really, really important. Everything else, I think it's shared um, across industries. So the work that we do around carbon or climate change, water waste or energy um, or soil management, that's, you know, we all have to do that work and they're all, will have impacts there. But I think that labor and packaging makes us very unique. No, those are excellent points. I hadn't thought of those two specifically, but yeah, when you look at so many things that we grow end up in a package because if they weren't in a package, then you'd have more food waste. And so you're balancing off these, you know, two different things that we have to deal with food waste and, and plastic. And there is a lot of work and it's where you and my worlds kind of intersect. You know, there's a lot exactly. of work looking at the technology of what, what can we do to improve this, to have less plastic and continue to have less food waste. And then the labor issue, as you say, is just huge and we're you know we're looking at different ways to automate and and help and and use less labor and have labor do less difficult tasks but as you say it's very different in a field of produce than it is corn so um, it's a constant issue 
So what can you tell us uh, how the produce industry is adopting some of the sustainable practices, just what you've seen in your career and, and looking specifically at produce, give some examples of what companies are doing uh, in the sustainability area? Well, I have to say that in my view, across the industry, they're very shy about what they do. They think they don't do much. And I think they do more than they think they do in general. And so they're not about showing off for the most part. So you have to pull it out of each company to understand what they're doing because they're not talking constantly about, oh, I do this, I do that. Because mostly because produce is a brandless world for the most part. There are some brands that are easily recognized by people, but for the most part, produce is just, you know, a huge category with no brands. Whereas the branded world, they love to showcase sustainability. They're constantly talking about sustainability, but in produce, you have to pull it out of them. But the association has done a good job at that in creating some case studies. So, you know, some, um, some members can learn from what others are doing in, in that area. I'm constantly, constantly blown away by how creative they all are um, with sustainability. And I've seen some incredible things and I can't, I don't like to pick favorites, but I wanna you know, highlight some, because I think they're all wonderful and they all try. And so, but I wanted to give you know, just a couple of examples that either I have seen or that I found unusual. One of them in, in it's uh, Limonera in California, well, it's bigger than in California, but in their headquarters in California, they have, they started this solar farm and they have created this whole strategy to be completely energy sufficient. And so that's their whole motto. And that has been really powerful and they've been very driven in that space. No matter where they grow, they keep that strategy. Another good example is a company that I came across reading about them in South Africa, CZ2. And I think they have such a catchy name too. Mm -hmm. um, and they are really focused on an ecosystem approach to farming and ecosystem and precision farming all at the same time. So that very mindful of what the impacts they have, but also how doing precise farming, which is truly incredible. Their original focus was soil health and having good soils. And so they started doing this incredible composting program themselves because they couldn't access compost from other sources to amend the soil, create healthy soils, good, reduce the amount of water they use and et cetera. And that's really a powerful case. I think it's interesting what you said at the beginning that people are kind of shy about what they do or you have to kind of pull it out of them. And they, they probably wouldn't say, here are all of my sustainable practices and here are my other right. practices. <laughs> so right, exactly. Part right. of it is just even defining. And I think, you know, some of the case studies that Ed 
has worked on is really kind of going to people and and helping them uncover like this is a sustainable practice. And I think that's part of what your role will be as well is just helping people see the the great stuff they're already doing and kind of showcasing that and, and having people share with each other. Right. Yeah. I mean, many of them have not embedded sustainability into their strategy, you know, corporate strategy. You know, it's just something that they do but they do it. And so because of that, I think that it's, yeah, it's, it's important to us to get it out of them because they're really making an effort. Mm -hmm. So what role does policy and regulation play in the adoption of sustainable practices in the produce industry? That is a huge, I think a driver for sustainability, sometimes a little old fashioned because everything that comes from government comes a a few years behind other trends. But it's true that, um, well, this is a little hard to, you know, it's hard because sometimes the regulators have come with restrictions for uh, farming practices that have been seen by the industry as a restriction of their, or a limitation of their tools in their toolbox and really limiting um, their yields, uh, making everything more expensive, more cost, more more complex. But I think that the government has come with, of course, with good intentions. And so I think what the struggle is to just put the two together. There's also quite a bit of requirements coming from retailers. So there, um, the industry is being asked by not only the policy world, but also the retailers on their practices. So I think that in many of this, many of the companies are small and it could be really overwhelming to them. Mm. So I think that it's important that in government needs to understand that they need help. They need a little bit of holding hands until they really can report what they're doing or limit what they are or changing their practices, etc. Uh, very much like it happened with with food safety in the past. That is food safety in terms of regulations and compliance is, I don't know, maybe 15 years ahead of sustainability. Hmm. And they have more or less their act together, I think. Whereas in sustainability is a little harder because it comes from different places and different requirements. Sometimes they could be water requirements. Sometimes they could be about fertilizer use, pesticides for sure, etc. So it's it comes from very different places, and also it varies by region. So some some of the requirements are federal. Some of them are state. Some of the companies produce in different states, so it's hard for them to adapt to the requirements in one versus the other and then their supply chain. So I think it's good and it's driving the industry in the right direction, but it's hard to comply with sometimes. Yeah, it's certainly imperfect. And I, then you add in global on top of that mm. when people are trying to ship oh, things yeah. out of the country. And I think with a lot of these regulations, what ends up happening is the producer ends up having to bear the cost and take on the risk of adopting new practices. And so I think, I think that's tough. So it is, it, you know, I'd love to see ways where, and I think the USDA is trying to help and, and 
you know, putting money and doing grants and, you know, trying to help and, and not having industry bear all the risk. But it is, it's difficult because everyone, everyone wants this, but someone has to pay for it, right? Because it, it is a many exactly. times more costly right. to transition into new types of practices. So, yeah. Right. Because in the produce industry, except for organically grown, so um, USDA organic, there's not a price hike for organic right. uh, for um, sustainable practices. So you burden the cost. You might have a wonderful story to tell on your website, but you know people are not going to pay more for your product. And so, or I mean, sometimes they might, but it's not it's not a given. So it's a little tough for for the industry. Yeah, I think that's. Um, I wanted to talk next about some of the things that are slowing down the adoption of sustainable practices, and I think that's certainly one of them. Is that it? Some of these practices cost more, but you don't make any more money, and so that that's definitely a barrier. Are there other barriers that you see that kind of slow down adoption? Well, I think the nature of the industry um, and the plants themselves and themselves and how you know, um, susceptible they are to weather changes that, for example, that's a, that's a, that, cre- that creates a lot of stress in the industry, you know, weather issues or pest outbursts and, or, you know, they're having supply chain issues or food safety issues or labor shortages, and you're trying to do something else, but then you have this you know, bigger fish to fry because, you know, you might not even make it to market. And so you might have to leave your, you know, sustainability practices aside or tame them a little bit because all of these external factors. So, yeah, so fresh produce and flowers are so sensitive to so many changes, um, external factors that um, are really hard to control. And that it could be a huge competitor for, you know, the good work they want to do in sustainability. Mm-hmm. So my last question, what are three things that companies in the produce industry can do to be more sustainable? The world according to Tamara. Three things. <laughs> the world according to Tamara. Well, you know, three things that they can do themselves. <laughs> I mean, many of the things that they can do are dependent on others. So if I'm not going to say packaging because it depends on... Do you have the right products, et cetera? So no, things that they can do on day one and say, so one of them is there's the source of their energy. They can uh, purchase renewable energy. Hmm. That's, that's a powerful and strong one. And if they can invest in renewable energy in their um, operations also, that's, that's one thing that they can do themselves and it's very, very important for our work on climate change. The other one is I highly recommend every operation to hire or to contract integrated pest management expert because that person or that group can see, could take a good look at the operation and their practices and truly help with most efficient pesticide use and pest management in general with different practices. 
So that's another one. And the third one, and this is a big one, I also think that companies should invest, um, train their people in the field in uh, plant nutrition. So, you know, efficient use of fertilizer. Because um, if you, you know, efficiently use you know, use better your fertilizer, you are not only being more sustainable, but you're cutting costs at the same time. But in my, you know, ideal view of the world, what I would really, really love to see in the area of fertilizer is compost being more cost-effective, organic fertilizer to be most more cost-effective, because now it's, it's a price hike for, for producers but the environmental impacts of it are significant. And so, yeah, that's my kind of wish for the future. Yeah. And I think that as we know, things going on in the world right now, that's only going to get worse and, and having availability of fertilizer and the cost is going to continue to go up. And I know organic growers are really looking for different sources and different ways to, to have fertilizer. And so I think there's a number of different technologies that are trying to figure out how do we get, you know, more, more nutrition in the soil in a, in a better way that's better for the environment. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm, well, I agree with all three of those. Those are great. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you so you. much for your time today. And I'm lucky that I'm going to get to talk to you frequently. So I look forward to working together and thanks for your time. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. This is, uh, I feel really honored to already speak you know speak my voice through this podcast thank you and i also look forward to working with you thanks so with that discussion that ends our season focused on sustainability after a short recess of a couple of weeks we'll come back with the season teasing out the differences and similarities between produce that has an organic label is grown using regenerative practices and or is grown in a greenhouse or a vertical farm. So I'm really excited about this topic. This is a journey that I personally want to go on to try to understand these differences and what it means to consumers. So we'll look at what's better for you, what's better for the planet, and where technology can have an impact in these different ways of producing food. So thank you and see you soon. Thank you. The International Fresh Produce Association is bringing new technology to solve industry's big challenges through the new Fresh Field Catalyst Accelerator. The six-month immersive program works with technology companies outside of produce and floral to experience the challenges in our industry and develop innovative solutions for a healthier world. Applications are due April 4th. Find out more at freshproduce.com. You've been listening to Fresh Takes on Tech, a podcast from the International Fresh Produce Association. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep delivering the latest on produce technology. Thank you for listening. Until next time.